Hi, uh, I'm Beth, I'm a celebrity eater. Hi, Beth. Hi, and um, uh, it's funny, Andy said that, um, you know, if you asked me to come here to the kitchen sink meeting, and I was actually here the day that they named it the kitchen sink meeting. <laughs> and was anyone else here? Do you guys, anyone remember that? And weren't we outside? Yeah, yeah awesome, awesome. <laughs> That's great. Um, Anyway, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous something like 22 years, and I have like 19 and a half years of abstinence. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and um, about a 45-pound weight loss. My weight goes up and down a little bit, and I'll tell you more about that, but um, that's where I'm at. And um, it's been a real ride, i got to tell you. Um, and, oh, uh, I was going to actually start with this. Um, this morning I walked out and I live over in the Pasadena area and I have this flyer in my mailbox and I just pulled it out as I was running to the meeting and if you can tell by the artwork on it, it's a 4th of July invitation. And I tell you, I was so excited. <laughs> I was so happy because, you know, years ago, um, to have lived in that neighborhood 10 years, We'd had a neighborhood party, and I got to know some of the neighbors, and then been invited to have like a little neighbor circuit thing going on, and you know they'd have parties at different people's houses, and you know this is like an effect of the disease to me is that I went to a couple of them, and I guess I kind of got scared, and I made my boyfriend into a higher power, and he wanted to take me someplace else, and I just I just something happened, like almost like a light switch that went off, and. And I didn't go to one party I'd been invited to. And I even think I had said yes, and they just didn't show up, you know. And, like, that was okay, you know. <laughs> and no big deal. And I could just call them, or when next time I see them, I'll just, like, you know, panhandle my way through it. And I'd still be part of the gang. Well, I never got invited to another party. Ten years. Well, then, my neighbor is also in Overeaters Anonymous. Isn't that a nice thing? And, um, which actually freaked me out because that's just a little too close in order to get <laughs> uh, Really. <laughs> and, um, so she had a birthday party, and she's just like 65 and fabulous. And I just love her. And so I forced myself, because that's the part of the disease for me, too, is isolating, you know. And I just forced myself. I just threw a jacket on, grabbed my glasses, you know, the... Um, a new boyfriend. <laughs> He's, you know, doing his own thing. But this time I had enough recovery. Like, he can do his own thing. He's not going to come with me, but I'm going anyway. And this woman was so happy that I showed up. I mean, the look on her face, she said, oh my God, you're here. You showed up. And she just threw her arms around me. And, you know, this is what I really want to say. It's like, this is love. You know what I'm saying? This is somebody who has love and they're offering you love. And, you know, the disease just shut me off from that. And, um, you know, today I get to say, you know, I'm open enough to be able to find something like this and, you know, really understand, you know, the value of that. And that's more what my life is like today. But it's been a long journey. And, um, I, you know, I was, uh, the whole story, I was, you know, overweight child, uh, you know, the parents were, uh, you know, just not really capable of nurturing, and um, were broken people themselves, and um, I was, um, you know, really on my own uh, in all manners, and, 
it's very strange because my family was, um, you know, my father was incredibly successful. Uh, he had, like, there's a picture on our wall of him on the cover of, mag of a magazine when he was 24 years old, you know. And um, so I guess you'd say from the outside, everything looked good. Except that I was, you know, the chubby girl. But, you know, the family had all those outside um, kind of status symbols going on. And, um, but, you know, strange things. Like, my clothes weren't even really clean. Like, I would be compulsively overeating and, and they would be stained. And my mother, you know, couldn't, she was depressed and she couldn't take care of me. And I was kind of on my own in terms of my food. And, um, you know, I almost had to feed myself, which is very strange for what it looked like from the outside, which was that all is well and the ship is sailing and, you know, all, all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, um, what, what food did is help me survive. And when I got to college, I lost 25 pounds immediately, partly out of being away from the toxic environment in my home. And partly just because the food was like way better. I mean, they had, they, I mean, they had healthy food. And I just, I mean, my, I was almost like craving, you know, the nutrition or the nutrients that I needed. And um, I had my first boyfriend, and that was really interesting to me. And um, I, I'm hoping that what I can talk more about with you is relationships, because, um, you know, I was focused on some guy who didn't want me, which will be like kind of my story. <laughs> you know, people who me because my parents, you know, on some level were rejecting me and that was what felt familiar. And I don't was paying attention to this other guy that was totally focused on him. You know, this other guy, this better man, you know, was like focused on me. And, you know, he pursued me and I didn't know, I was scared of men. I mean, I, thank God I was focused over here and didn't really notice him sneaking up on me. <laughs> and, you know, he, he kind of captured me. And um, we got to the point where uh, he'd taken me to his family's home, and I was so young, and I think he thought it was a great idea to get married. And when he started talking about that, almost like words got caught in my throat. I was so mortified. I mean, just that fear, you know, of being close and that I would be hurt by somebody else. And I almost literally choked. And not too long after, that's because of rejection. Like when a man gets to the point of feeling that much love or caring for a woman and puts himself out there and, and you know, like we broke up. That was the end of that. And um, I went back to more of the binging and compulsive eating. I gained another, you know, 10, 15 pounds. And that's when the eating disorder really got worse. And I was so lonely. And I didn't understand why men wouldn't ask me out. They weren't asking me out. And it was a combination. I didn't really look that good. I mean, I was depressed. I was not, I mean, there are some women who are overweight, and they've got it going on. I mean, I don't know what, maybe they've got other issues, like they're hiding in a different way. But, you know, the girls know how to put on the lipstick, and they've got pretty clothes. And not to say that they're not in pain, too, but I, I didn't do any of that. I didn't have, I mean, they were just too scary. You know, I mean, I was used to being invisible and sliding low, you know, and that's how I got through. And so um, I realized something was wrong. And I'm one of the Ann Landers, Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> um, I read about the program, and somehow it just made sense to me. And the first meeting, I was living in San Francisco, and the first meeting I went to, um, 
it just made sense. I mean, at the end, when we held hands and prayed, you know, basically for us and for other compulsive overeaters, it felt right. You know, and, you know, from that day, I mean, I've been, you know, one of you. And, um, and then it took me a while to get abstinent. And I kept hanging in there. And for the newcomers, um, you know, eventually I went to the old uh, Thalians um, meeting, a big, huge, scary meeting. I was always scared. Like, I was scared I'd be sitting in the back, hiding the back there. <laughs> yeah, we can still see you. <laughs> and uh, I was just so hard. And But I just kept showing up, showing up, showing up. Because one of the chairs here had my name on it. I knew, sort of knew that. And um, I tried not to take up too much space. And um, I heard this guy over there, and he said he'd been in OA 10 years, and he had eight years of abstinence. And he, I mean, he was just like a shining example from what I could tell of recovery. I mean, he just looked good, sounded good, he dressed well. I mean, he just looked like somebody who felt good about himself. And I, what I took away from that, and I mean, all these years later, how many speakers have I seen or heard, and you know that that really meant something to me. That I felt there was still hope for me. That even though I would get like six months of abstinence and then I relapse, you know, somehow that get me, um, got me to just try a little bit more. You know, don't give up because I was beginning to fear I was constitutionally incapable. And somewhere in there, you know, um, I had a sponsor who used to coo at me like I was a little baby, and that's what I needed. She just would coo, it's okay, it's all okay. I remember I, I would call her, and I would say, I'm so scared. <clears throat> and I would say, hi, how are you? And finally she got mad at me, which really scared me. <laughs> she just said, you're not calling to ask how I am. You're calling because you need something. So I learned how to start asking for help. And um, people told me, like back in the old days, um, there's a lot of AA people here, and so they told me things like, come up and thank the speaker. Get three phone numbers each meeting. Um, make three phone calls a day. Oh, you've got to be kidding. I've got to talk to people. And there was, you know, there was like a lot of hits and misses with that. Because like, honestly, you really don't want to talk to everybody. <laughs> and because there's some, I mean, there's some people, and I had a tendency to pick people who scold me or put me down because that's what I knew. But eventually it got better. Oh, and here's a funny story because it's actually at this meeting or one of the meetings here. Um, <laughs> Okay, like to pick a sponsor, I, um, what I did back then, because I was so, still not very much in touch with myself, I didn't trust myself, I made a list of potential sponsor, sponsors, and then I'd make categories so I would evaluate them. <laughs> and then I assigned them numbers, <laughs> you know, so I could figure out who would be a good sponsor for me. Because I couldn't feel, you know, I couldn't just feel who had the love, you know, and and um, eventually, like, it got better, you know. Um, I saw this wonderful woman who just seemed, she was, oh, this is what it was. And I didn't consciously know this at the time. She was really, really smart and really, really hot. And I thought, wow, and fun. And I, I asked her to be my sponsor, like, just on the spot. And, you know, she had, like, a lot of great things to tell me. And, you know, slowly I learned, you know, to begin to speak up for myself, um, 
I, oh, I went through a real period of hiding out with the girls who went to Hollywood, and, you know, like still really hiding from men. And about 15 years ago, I got into an intensive therapy, and I realized, you know, I really was, you know, not on the right track for me and, you know, kind of opened myself up. Um, but man, did I have a lot to learn because um, what I found out since is that um, a lot of those hot chicks back in high school, um, they'd been my friends in grade school, but they kind of abandoned me in high school because I was overweight and not that attractive. Well, I realize now it was almost like a natural weeding out process because hot girls found other hot girls and they had almost a whole different thing going on which is that, that the men, the boys wanted them, you know, and there was just a whole other vibe and energy that they were surrounded by that I, I wasn't even a part of. I couldn't even, you know, take that in. And what I learned, because I kind of had to go through adolescence, like, in midlife, but <laughs> I'm serious, is that back then, what they did is they'd go into the girls' locker room and say, oh, my God, can you but Johnny just tried to pull on me, <laughs> and he said this, and he said this, and this is what he's really doing, and oh my God, Johnny did that with me too, and be careful, and oh, so-and-so's good God. I mean, they do that. They talk it through. They gap, 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 gap. And you know, and who's the girls I was friends with? You know, all the other smart, nerdy girls, you know, and that were invisible, you know, and we didn't talk about that because what? You know, the guys weren't pursuing us, you know? We were invisible together. And, um, so anyway, so about 15 years ago, I started this long journey into myself. I mean, into, you know, letting out the part of me that I've been all bound up. And um, I honestly thank God I didn't really fully understand what that was, because I probably would have left. I mean, because it was, it was my worst fear is that when guys would pursue me, I mean, you know, since then, um, you know, is that it would kick up those old feelings of abuse and that I was going to be attacked and petrified me. And so the fact that I went really slow turned out to be a benefit. And slowly, you know, I began to build up the confidence to, you know, be seen and to be able to be still, you know, because, you know, nice, like I found out also, not nice men, they'll approach you with no signal, like no sign that it's okay, you know, and watch out for those guys. And when I was really shut down, guess what? You know, the very few guys who would pay attention, you know, overly aggressive, not respectful, and I had no way of knowing, and I was so lonely, you know, I was so lonely. And um, I had no idea how I was participating in sending out this vibe of, you know, stay away from me. And um, I remember I called a um, girlfriend in um, uh, OA, and I was wearing these really, like I dressed in really um, androgynous type clothes, like invisible, and I mean, they were clean and tailored, but, (laughs) and um, I said, what, you know, I said, what kinds of shoes you know, I, you know, should I wear? I really had, because I had, like, just plain, boring, flat shoes, like, this note. <laughs> I picked these out myself. And, um, but you have no idea how, I mean, so many, like, that's not who I am. I'm not one of those women. And, you know, and you have to experiment. That's the other thing, is, like, trying on a lot of different clothes. That's my body. You know, I have to meet myself. I had to be willing and open to meet myself. 
And um, she told me, she said, you have those shoes you wear? They suck. <laughs> not good. And then she kind of told me, you can wear a little sandal. I was like, really? I mean, it was just, I mean, that, like, you know, pushed down. And so, um, again, slowly, slowly, like, I had one friend who was like a, a, a nice gentleman who was a makeup artist. And he... Um, <laughs> He did me up. I mean, and, and he had, and um, okay, people, he would go out and do drag already. And he, and I would watch him put on his makeup and totally transform. And I thought, if he can do that, But it was so, it was like, I was so, like, oh, God. And so, um, and he had, like, this fishing thing, you know, where you put, like, lures and those boxes, but it was all filled with makeup. And I thought, wow, okay. And, um, so anyhow, um, and then I got into a long-term relationship with, you know, I made him, like, my second form of a higher power, and I, I just didn't know that much, and, you know, he kept kind of leading me on, and that we would get married someday, and, you know, he was really smart and really good at that, and so I just kept staying and staying and kept thinking that would happen, and eventually, after years and years and years and years, I realized, you know, this was a learning experience, and it was time to let go and move on. And that was about five years ago, and right at that transition, a lot of the old feelings of abuse, I mean, in my recovery, even though I processed, you know, some amount of that, really spouted out. And I went into almost like hibernation, but not invisible. And and I would come up to people and I would just hold on to their arms and just the tears would flow out. And people just loved me and held me and supported me. And it's almost like I got cleaned out, like washed away. All those years, you know, that I've been making that slow progress and, you know, the light of my higher power just, I mean, just, just brilliant. I mean, just, you know, because I could feel myself, you know. I wasn't afraid of my own feelings anymore. And, um, you know, that was really when all of a sudden I started getting asked out and, I mean, guys, like, just in common average places would do the whole smiley thing. And, you know, and for the first time I recognized it, even though the ex-boyfriend a few times had had that look, they get this big, big-eyed, goofy look when they can't talk. And I thought, whoa, that's what these other girls have been, you know, if they know this, but I don't know this. I didn't. I never had had that experience. And it was so like, well, and then I had to learn how to be a polite woman that, you know, I realized that these were good men and that they were kind of vulnerable. And that I had to learn how to be able to manage that. Like if I was interested to be graceful about that and if I wasn't to be kind-hearted and a whole new level of, of life opened up uh, for me. So um, I'm not sure. Oh, I have five more minutes. Um, so, oh, and... So anyway, so there's hope, and um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not in control because I would never have even been able to know what any of that was because it wasn't part of my experience. And um, uh, and oh, and in terms of my family, um, I cut off from my father for many, many years, and um, I began to realize things weren't going to get better. Um, you know, with my relationship with men, 
And also, like, I tend to pick mean bosses, too. And I realized in the last five years, I worked through, you know, with all that grief that came up and the cleansing that um, I, because I kept wanting him to, like, get on that, down on his hands and knees and beg for my forgiveness. And I felt like I was owed that and I deserved it. And probably, like, on some level, that's true. But nothing that I did ever made him do that. And, um, and so... I had somebody tell me a story in program, and this is where our you know, fellowship, I mean, our, we get our recovery through, both through our insides, but through the fellowship. She said she knew this girl, and she was in a different 12-step program, but she was in therapy and treatment and program, and her mother woke up one day and realized how terribly she treated this girl. And the mother got into recovery herself, and she came to treatment with the daughter. She apologized. She took full responsibility. And the girl still ended up killing herself. And what I got out of that, and my friend says, my friend, she said, I, I feel like I'm here in part to, you know, share that story to help some of us, if we can, you know, to not end up like that. And what I got from it was, it won't matter. I mean, it would matter. I mean, if my father would do that, but it isn't in the end going to go back to when I was three, four, five years old and fix the pain that I still had. So it just, it, what it did is, I, you know, it didn't like erase what he did or what that was, but it helped me let go of trying to still chase him one way or another by cutting him off through anger, through resentment, and, you know, it just, you know, I don't know, left. And, um, and then it left with the tears and the being held. And um, that's grief. And grief is accepting a loss, meaning, uh, you know, I'm not going to get back, you know, probably that thing that I should have had back then. But somehow, whatever the miracle of this program is, I feel okay today. You know, I do not feel like the broken person I felt like. I feel like the woman that, you know, God would want me to be, you know, you know, without the damage that had happened. You know, that I am the best representation of the person, the human spirit that, you know, I could possibly be regardless. And um, that, was, that was given to me in program. And um, there was one other thing she told me. Oh, yeah, that she made an amends to her mother. And that her mother had apologized. And that um, it still hadn't fixed her hurt and her pain. And so I did see my father a year ago for the first time. And what he ran to me. I mean, I, I was like I had come back from the dead. I mean, the look on his face, he couldn't say to me, I'm sorry, but he was so happy and so grateful. And I felt it. I mean, I don't know. And you know, my mother has apologized, but she doesn't like this, screw you, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, um, you know, it doesn't really feel that good. <laughs> so there was something that happened, and... Um, you know, today I'm in a great relationship with a man who, you know, I, I mean, I surrendered like Friday I was going to call him up and demand that he marry me. 
you know? And I kept my mouth. That's hard, too. That's a big part of my recovery these days is not taking action, is sitting with that discomfort, you know, and not forcing the solution. And, you know, because, you know, he's like, oh, maybe we don't need to look for a place to live together right now. And I was like, oh. And I'm back, you know, by noon, he was emailing pictures of houses. <laughs> See, you know, get out of the way. Get out of my own way. And, um... And I made a commitment to myself that I would never just sit again. I mean, that I am a worthy woman and that, you know, he's lucky to have me in his life. And if he's not the one, there'll be someone else. I I don't, and even more important than that is that I have myself. And um, and I too feel like it's happened. Um, so it's all good, and uh, not every day, but in general, we can uh, you know, share our recovery. So thanks. <laughs>